Chapter Eleven, Part Two of A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org. A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life by William Law. Chapter Eleven, Part Two showing how great devotion fills our lives with the greatest peace and happiness that can be enjoyed in this world secondly as to those satisfactions and enjoyments which in exalted piety requireth us to deny ourselves this deprives us of no real comfort of life for first piety requires us to renounce no ways of life where we can act reasonably and offer what we do to the glory of god all ways of life, all satisfactions and enjoyments that are within these bounds are no way denied us by the strictest rules of piety. Whatever you can do or enjoy as in the presence of God as his servant, as his rational creature that has received reason and knowledge from him, all that you can perform comfortably to a rational nature and the will of God, all this is allowed by the laws of piety and will you think that your life will be uncomfortable unless you may displease God? Be a fool and mad and act contrary to that reason and wisdom which he has implanted in you. As for those satisfactions which we dare not offer to a holy God, which are only invented by folly and corruption of the world, which inflame our passions and sink our souls into grossness and sensuality and render us incapable of the divine favour, either here or hereafter surely it can be no uncomfortable state of life to be rescued by religion from such self-murder and to be rendered capable of eternal happiness let us suppose a person destitute of that knowledge which we have from our senses placed somewhere alone by himself in the midst of a variety of things which he did not know how to use that he has by him bread, wine, water, golden dust, iron chains, gravel, garments, fire, etc. Let it be supposed that he has no knowledge of the right use of these things, nor any direction from his senses how to quench his thirst, or satisfy his hunger, or to make any use of the things about him. Let it be supposed that in his drought he puts golden dust into his eyes, when his eyes smart he puts wine into his ears that in his hunger he puts gravel into his mouth that in pain he loads himself with iron chains that feeling cold he puts his feet in the water that being frighted at the fire he runs away from it that being weary he makes a seat of his bread let it be supposed that through his ignorance of the right use of the things that are about him he will vainly torment himself whilst he lives and at last die blinded with dust choked with gravel and loaded with irons let it be supposed that some good being came to him and showed him the nature and use of all the things that were about him and gave him such strict rules of using them as would certainly if observed make him the happier for all that he had and deliver him from the pains of hunger and thirst and cold. Now, could you with any reason affirm 
that those strict rules of using those things that were about him had rendered that poor man's life dull and uncomfortable. Now, this is in some measure a representation of the strict rules of religion. They only relieve our ignorance, save us from tormenting ourselves, and teach us to use everything about us to our proper advantage. Man is placed in a world full of variety of things. His ignorance makes him use many of them as absurdly as the man that put dust in his eyes to relieve his thirst, or put on chains to remove pain. Religion, therefore, here comes in to his relief, and gives him strict rules of using everything that is about him, so that by using them suitably to his own nature, and the nature of the things, he may have always the pleasure of receiving a right benefit from them. It shows him what is strictly right in meat and drink and clothes, and that he has nothing else to expect from the things of this world but to satisfy such wants of his own, and then to extend his assistance to all his brethren, that, as far as he is able, he may help all his fellow-creatures to the same benefit from the world that he hath. It tells him that this world is incapable of giving him any other happiness, and that all endeavours to be happy in heaps of money, or acres of land, in fine clothes, rich beds, stately equipage, and show and splendour, are only vain endeavours, ignorant attempts after impossibilities. These things, being no more able to give the least degree of happiness than dust in the eyes can cure thirst, or gravel in the mouth satisfy hunger. But, like dust and gravel misapplied, will only serve to render him more unhappy by such an ignorant misuse of them. It tells him that, although this world can do no more for him than satisfy these wants of the body, yet that there is a much greater good prepared for man than eating, drinking, and dressing, that it is yet invisible to his eyes, being too glorious for the apprehension of flesh and blood, but reserved for him to enter upon, as soon as this short life is over, where, in a new body, formed to an angelic likeness, he shall dwell in the light and glory of God to all eternity. It tells him that this state of glory will be given to those that make right use of the things of this present world, who do not blind themselves with golden dust, or eat gravel, or groan under loads of iron of their own putting on, but use bread, water, wine, and garments for such ends as are according to nature and reason, and who, with faith and thankfulness, worship the kind giver of all that they enjoy here, and hope for hereafter. Now, can any one say that the strictest rules of such a religion as this debar us from any of the comforts of life? Might it not as justly be said of those rules that only hinder a man from choking himself with gravel? For the strictness of these rules only consists in the exactness of their rectitude. Who would complain of the severe strictness of a law that, without any exception, forbade the putting of dust into our eyes? Who could think it too rigid that there were no abatements? Now, this is the strictness of religion. It requires nothing of us strictly, or without abatements, but where every degree of the thing is wrong, where every indulgence does us some hurt. If 
religion forbids all instances of revenge without any exception it is because all revenge is of the nature of poison and though we do not take so much as to put an end to life yet if we take any at all it corrupts the whole mass of blood and makes it difficult to be restored to our former health if religion commands an universal charity to love our neighbor as ourselves to forgive and pray for all our enemies without any reserve it is because all degrees of love are degrees of happiness that strengthen and support the divine life of the soul and are as necessary to its health and happiness as proper food is necessary to the health and happiness of the body if religion has laws against laying up treasures upon earth and commands us to be content with food and raiment it is because every other use of the world is abusing it to our own vexation and turning all its conveniences into snares and traps to destroy us it is because this plainness and simplicity of life secures us from the cares and pains of restless pride and envy and makes it easier to keep that straight road that will carry us to eternal life if religion saith sell that thou hast and give to the poor it is because there is no other natural or reasonable use of our riches nor other way of making ourselves happier for them it is because it is as strictly right to give others that which we do not want ourselves as it is right to use so much as our own wants require for if a man has more food than his own nature requires how base and unreasonable is it to invent foolish ways of wasting it and to make sport for his own full belly rather than let his fellow creatures have the same comfort from food which he hath had it is so far therefore from being a hard law of religion to make this use of our riches that a reasonable man would rejoice in that religion which teaches him to be happier in that which he gives away than in that which he keeps for himself which teaches him to make spare food and raiment be greater blessings to him than that which feeds and clothes his own body if religion requires us sometimes to fast and deny our natural appetites it is to lessen that struggle and war that is in our nature it is to render our bodies fitter instruments of purity and more obedient to the good motions of divine grace it is to dry up the springs of our passions that war against the soul to cool the flame of our blood and render the mind more capable of divine meditations so that although these abstinences give some pain to the body they so lessen the power of bodily appetites and passions and so increase our taste of spiritual joys that even these severities of religion when practiced with discretion add much to the comfortable enjoyment of our lives if religion calleth us to a life of watching and prayer it is because we live amongst a crowd of enemies and are always in need of the assistance of God if we are to confess and bewail our sins it is because such confessions relieve the mind and restore it to ease as burdens and weights taken off the shoulders relieve the body and make it easier to itself if we are to be frequent and fervent in holy petitions it is to keep us steady in the sight of our true God and that we may never want the happiness of a lively faith a joyful hope 
and well-grounded trust in God. If we are to pray often, it is that we may be often happy in such secret joys as only prayer can give, in such communications of the Divine Presence as will fill our minds with all the happiness that beings not in heaven are capable of. Was there anything in the world more worth our care? Was there any exercise of the mind or any conversation with men that turned more to our advantage than this intercourse with God, that we should not be called to such a continuance in prayer? But if a man considers what it is that he leaves when he retires to devotion, he will find it no small happiness to be so often relieved from doing nothing, or nothing for the purpose, from dull idleness, unprofitable labour, or vain conversation. If he considers that all that is in the world, and all that is doing in it, is only for the body and bodily enjoyments, he will have reason to rejoice at those hours of prayer which carry him to higher consolations, which raise him above these poor concerns, which open to him a scene of greater things, and accustom his soul to the hope and expectation of them. If religion commands us to live wholly unto God, and to do all to his glory, it is because every other way of living is living wholly against ourselves, and will end in our own shame and confusion of face. As everything is dark that God does not enlighten, as everything is senseless that has not its share of knowledge from Him, as nothing lives but by partaking of life from Him, as nothing exists but because He commands it to be, so there is no glory or greatness but what is of the glory and greatness of God. Indeed, we may talk of human glory as we may talk of human life or human knowledge. But as we are sure that human life implies nothing of our own but a dependent living in God, or enjoying so much life in God, so human glory, whenever we find it, must be only so much glory as we enjoy in the glory of God. This is the state of all creatures, whether men or angels. As they make not themselves, so they enjoy nothing from themselves. If they are great, it must only be as great receivers of the gifts of God. Their power can only be so much of the divine power acting in them. Their wisdom can be only so much of the divine wisdom shining within them, and their light and glory only so much of the light and glory of God shining upon them. As they are not men or angels because they had a mind to be so themselves, but because the will of God formed them to be what they are, so they cannot enjoy this or that happiness of men or angels because they have a mind to it, but because it is the will of God that such things be the happiness of men and such things the happiness of angels. But now if God be thus all in all, if his will is thus the measure of all things and all natures, if nothing can be done but by his power, if nothing can be seen, but by a light from him, if we have nothing to fear but from his justice, if we have nothing to hope for but from his goodness, if this is the nature of man, thus helpless in himself, if it is the state of all creatures, as well those in heaven as those on earth, if they are nothing, can do nothing, can suffer no pain, nor feel any happiness, 
but so far and in such degrees as the power of God does all this if this be the state of things then how can we have the least glimpse of joy or comfort how can we have any peaceful enjoyment of ourselves but by living wholly under that God using and doing everything comfortably to his will a life thus devoted unto God looking wholly unto him in all our actions and doing all things suitably to his glory is so far from being dull and uncomfortable that it creates new comforts in everything that we do on the contrary would you see how happy they are who live according to their own wills who cannot submit to the dull and melancholy business of a life devoted unto God look at the man in the parable to whom his Lord had given one talent he could not bear the thought of using his talent according to the will of him from whom he had it and therefore he chose to make himself happier in a way of his own Lord says he I knew thee that thou art an hard man reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed and I was afraid and I went and hid thy talent in the earth lo there thou hast what is thine his Lord having convicted him out of his own mouth dispatches him with this sentence cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth Matthew 25 24 25 30 here you see how happy this man made himself by not acting wholly according to his Lord's will it was according to his own account a happiness of murmuring and discontent I knew thee says he that thou wast an hard man it was a happiness of fears and apprehensions I was says he afraid it was a happiness of vain labors and fruitless travels I went says he and hid thy talent and after having been a while the sport of foolish passions tormenting fears and fruitless labor he is rewarded with darkness eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth now this is the happiness of all those who look upon a strict and exalted piety that is a right use of their talent to be a dull and melancholy state of life they may live a while free from the restraints and directions of religion but instead thereof they must be under the absurd government of their passions they must like the man in the parable live in murmurings and discontents in fears and apprehensions they may avoid the labor of doing good of spending their time devoutly of laying up treasures in heaven of clothing the naked of visiting the sick but then they must like this man have labors and pains in vain that tend to no use or advantage that do no good either to themselves or others they must travel and labor and work and dig to hide their talent in the earth they must like him at their Lord's coming be convicted out of their own mouths be accused by their own hearts and have everything that they have said and thought of religion be made to show the justice of their condemnation to eternal darkness weeping and gnashing of teeth this is the purchase that they make who avoid the strictness and perfection of religion in order to live happily on the other hand would you see a short description of the happiness of a life rightly employed wholly devoted to God 
you must look at the man in the parable to whom his lord had given five talents lord says he thou deliverest unto me five talents behold i have gained beside them five talents more his lord said to him well done thou good and faithful servant thou hast been faithful over a few things i will make thee ruler over many things enter thou into the joy of thy lord here you see a life that is wholly intent upon the improvement of the talents that is devoted wholly unto god is a state of happiness prosperous labours and glorious success here are not as in the former case any uneasy passions murmurings vain fears and fruitless labours the man is not toiling and digging in the earth for no end or advantage but his pious labours prosper in his hands his happiness increases upon him the blessing of five becomes the blessing of ten talents and he is received with a well done good and faithful servant enter thou into the joy of thy lord now as the case of these men in the parable left nothing else to their choice but either to be happy in using their gifts to the glory of the lord or miserable in using them according to their own humours and fancies so the state of christianity leaves us no other choice all that we have all that we are all that we enjoy are so many talents from god if we use them to the ends of a pious and holy life our five talents will become ten and our labours will carry us into the joy of our lord but if we abuse them to the gratifications of our own passions sacrificing the gifts of god to our own pride and vanity we shall live here in vain labours and foolish anxieties shunning religion as a melancholy thing accusing our lord as a hard master and then fall into everlasting misery we may for a while amuse ourselves with names and sounds and shadows of happiness we may talk of this or that greatness and dignity but if we desire real happiness we have no other possible way to it but by improving our talents by so holily and piously using the powers and faculties of men in this present state that we may be happy and glorious in the powers and faculties of angels in the world to come how ignorant therefore are they of the nature of religion of the nature of man and the nature of god who think a life of strict piety and devotion to god can be a dull uncomfortable state when it is so plain and certain that there is neither comfort nor joy to be found in anything else End of chapter 11, part 2 Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org